0: This uh, panel, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very pleased to introduce, and um, as Nicola said, it, it probably doesn't need much uh, introduction. Uh, but anyways, um, the gentlemen to my left, they have dual roles, if not triple roles. Um, so I will try and, and make sure that I introduce them properly. And um, when they answer, maybe they can also be a bit uh, sort of <coughs> conscious about which hat. They are wearing when they give the answer. That would probably also be interesting. Sure. Anyways, um, uh, sitting to, next to me is uh, Nicolas Shues. Welcome. Good day. Thank you. Yeah. You are the president and chairperson of the board of BIMCO, uh, but you are also the CEO of Red Rye Lies. That's true. And you will be celebrating a long history That's in a true. short while. Yes. 200 years. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you much. Um, next, we have uh, Christian Kopman. Uh, you are the president of, of the German uh, Shipbrokers Asso- uh, Association, and you are also the managing partner of Peter Lamke. and um,
1: did I get it correctly, or? That's correct, as yeah, We call it P- PWL Group. Peter Lamke was the founder, yeah. That's yeah. correct. Thank you. Passed away, though. And uh, finally.
0: Excuse me, uh, Arndt Vespermann, uh, Vesperman, a board member also of VDR, um, but also the CEO of uh, CPO Holding Offen Group. Correct. Yeah. And then I think I missed out one role for you, Niklas, and that is you are also a board member of uh, VDR.
2: Yes, that's, that's, that's true, but that is too many hats for today. So, <laughs> yes. so We will we, we'll stay with two hats. Yes. yes. Yeah?
0: Did I miss out any other hats on the... No, 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 I'm a no, very we got simplistic it, right. one, I only have two. Very good. So, um, maybe we could try the first uh, question, and and Christian, if you could uh, kick us off. Um, so, just to, to set the scene in a way. So, after spending the previous decade in the doldrums, I think that's a pretty accurate description, mm-hmm. Um What is the outlook for German shipping today, in your view, please?
1: Yeah, well, in the Doldrum, if we see the last two years, I would say the Doldrums have have already passed away. But apart from that, yeah, I think we are getting more or less back to normal, I would say, or a bit of an older normal, hopefully not as bad as it used to be many decades before. But if I look at the the current rates, the charter hires in most of the segments, uh, there's a bit of a red sign in front of it, so we see a, a development over the last months, obviously, that most in, in most categories is not as positive as it used to be, and that is certainly due to the fact that the overall insecurity and the economic, well, I wouldn't say not growth, but very slow growth. So... Uh, uh, The periods we we, we see from the broker side as well uh, that are being fixed are much shorter than they they used to be a couple of months before. Uh, We see that a number of fuel efficient uh, vessels do not get the premium they should be getting. So all that seems that in most segments there's a bit of an oversupply situation rather than, than an equilibrium or the other way around. So that is a bit of a mixed feeling right now as far as the market sentiment is concerned. And looking at the container trades, well, what do I have to tell you is very, very, we see also a sharp decline compared to the last two years, which were very exceptional. And also here, a bit back to normal in the 10 years comparison, the overall rates have come, come back. The, the total volume being shipped worldwide is more or less, is getting a little bit higher. So from 15.2 to 15.3 million TEU in August, September. And there's a bit of a growth, but the rates are not really increasing. Also, that shows that there might be a bit of an oversupply situation on the container side as well. Um, whilst the trades ex-China are getting it a little bit better, ex-Europe is very poor, and that has also the reason that the production, probably in Europe, at least in Germany, is not where it should be. And that we, I'm not sure whether you touched it already today, but the energy cost in Germany are certainly one of the issues that uh, makes production here not as attractive as it used to be, and there might be some shiftings in the future to come on top of that. Um, yeah, well, there's that, a little bit the, the market uh, scenario we're having. Was uh, I can see, and I think my colleagues can answer that much better, as far as how German owners are, are, are uh, tackling this. Of what, I, what we see is that German owners have much less focus on container tonnage and are on a wider spread of, of, of tonnage in their fleets, which I presume is, is, is healthier in, for the future. Luckily, I think the last two couple of years have made the equity position much more healthy as, as well. So I think they will sustain also certain difficult periods that I mentioned before ahead of us. Um, from what I understand is that the, the financing of new vessel is, uh, is another segment. It is available, but of obviously much more costly, and that leads to the fact that uh, many owners in Germany seem to focus a bit on smaller tonnage uh, for which finance seems to be easier available. Even though the projects are not commercially so viable as they used to be because of the high costs involved. And last but not least, uh, we will see in January the ETS coming, so that will be a big question mark on interesting market uh, logic, uh, the, the trading systems, so the container lines. They have the easy part, let's say. They they have charges already announced to the clients and like to put it on the container rate. Um, and hopefully the clients will also pay it. Whilst for bulk traders, and I just talked to a tanker owner or operator uh, it is uh, much more difficult to, to eventually to get that fixed uh, as well so that is will be very interesting if there will be some market distortions in in that sense and from what i understand is also the cia carbon industry indicator ruling that is in place is not yet where it should be so also what i'm always going to suggest there will be very heavily <coughs> influencing some market outlook from from our perspective
0: Great insights, thank you very much. Uh, may I turn to you, on um, Container shipping has been through a very good period, and I'm not sure whether you have enough pockets in your, in your suit, but uh, maybe, maybe you could give <laughs> some comments. Please, give us
3: some comments on, on the outlook, please. Uh, no, uh, <clears throat> yes, you, you're right, uh, but uh, Christian, I think already correctly referred to uh, the challenges ahead of us also on container. Uh, if you look back on the last, on the last two years, uh, well, there's clearly no reason to complain, and everybody knows that, uh, whether it's been for container liner operators, and I guess they are the, the true winners of the pandemic situation. And on the other hand, the owners, which also, while the charter rates, uh, if the vessels were not chartered out on long term, participated in this boom. Uh, the situation has changed to a certain extent in container, because uh, in the past, we after 10 years of doldrums, many of the owners were in a situation where the vessels were rather poorly maintained, uh, no chance to reinvest, uh, no chance to diversify, and that has changed. I think with the focus on container shipping in, the, in Germany, um, many owners were in the position to, to make good profits and diversify the fleet, invest in other vessel segments, modernize tonnage, and uh, the situation in pure container shipping today is... Different than in the last 10 years, if you want to summarize it very shortly. In the last 10 years, I think we were on the hunt for money, and now we're on the hunt for projects. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> the pockets are not that deep, but uh, clearly deeper than in the doldrums. And therefore, it's uh, it's a challenge now to find good projects paying, paying also a good profit. And one has to keep in mind that uh, the alternative we have nowadays, different to the last couple of years, is if you just invest in U.S. state bonds, you get six, close to 6% interest rate. So uh, a project with 8% uh, profitability looked maybe attractive two years ago, but doesn't so anymore today. So therefore, the the focus has slightly shifted, and we hear also from from banks we talked to, but also other ship owners, that they are all waiting. It seems to be a long queue out there waiting. Hmm. So the U.S.
0: bonds is sort of a benchmark for what makes uh, projects interesting, and you
3: have to be maybe in the double digits to sort of beat the, the bonds. Otherwise, it's difficult at least to uh, to recommend an investment in a still uh, risky uh, mm-hmm. asset like a ship today. Yeah. Thank you very much.
0: Nico, you, you can now summarize the outlook oh, for the, wow. the German shipping markets. And, well, well, uh, and if you yes. agree that we, we're out of the
2: doldrums, let's... Uh... Well, we are, we are at the moment out of the doldrums. The question is whether we are in container shipping, heading for the doldrums already. Um, I think aren't that uh, the tonnage tax, the legal framework, the the stability we have Mm. in Germany does allow for projects to be uh, made. I mean, where do you get 7-8% after tax? So generally speaking, I think we are still in a a very solid uh, situation here in Germany. We have Um, market participation in almost all steps of of the value chain Um, and we have a supportive government we have supportive regulation with the tonnage tax it's stable there's no discussion about that Um, and we have supportive uh, government for innovation for digitalization for uh, projects in the area of renewable fuels that we will refer to in a moment anyway so the general outset for shipping in Germany, given that the unique selling point kg model is gone, and it's not totally gone, it's picking up here and there. Again, that's what I meant, this 7% after tax is is, is not that bad. But given that that is gone, Germany is now on a globally looked at perspective in a a comfortable, uh, uh, competitive situation comparable to Greece, comparable to other countries, Holland, Norway, uh, countries like that. So I think we don't have to, to hide. There are three challenges in shipping uh, in, 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 in general, um, and you know them, of course. The one is the, 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 the decoupling or de-risking global tension, uh, which we, of course, cannot influence as, as German in the shipping industry. You have the ESG and the regulatory uh, environment that is coming with it. And we have and that, I think, is something interesting for Germany, uh, an underestimated problem in, in, in shipping. Very briefly, the BIMCO hat. Um, BIMCO is saying the third largest problem in, in shipping is people in the forthcoming years, and, and I think also there we will look at closer. But Germany is very active in ship management activities, and ship management is nothing else than people management. And that is something where I think we have a global position, including now our Cypriotic Germans, which are, after all, German shipping as well. Um, I think we have, a, we have a good position. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we have uh, reason to be a bit cautiously optimistic. Yeah. So we
0: should uh, remain optimistic. Yes, the we sun, can the sun say that after every sun. question. No, you, the sun is coming. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Thank you. That was sort of the warming up uh, round. So um, I think it's difficult for us at this panel uh, with your roles not to touch on, on IMO and MEPC 80 and the, the ambition level that was introduced uh, in July this year. So... Um, You know, we are very lucky, I would say as an industry, to have a global regulator. And actually a global regulator consists of 175 different governments. So now the governments at IMO agreed this July to accelerate the ambition level for decarbonization of shipping. And I will just uh, sort of repeat the, the numbers they agreed. So in 2030, uh, shipping overall should reduce CO2 emissions by 20%, in 2040, by 70%, and be net zero or thereabouts, I think that was sort of uh, the, the diplomatic phrasing, um, in 2050. Now, that is quite an acceleration of where we were, which said in 2050 to be... I think it was 50% reduction. Yes, the initial strategy. Mm. So um, maybe we could start with you, Nico. And uh, so w- what's your reflection uh, on hearing this uh, sort of accelerated ambition level?
2: Yes, it is, it is ambitious. I, I think it's good to look uh, back a bit in time. In spring uh, this year, the whole industry was begging for it. Uh, in 2018, some people were still against the 50% in 2050. I have some Greek friends who were saying uh, this is unachievable and unnecessary and the whole environmental discussion is also a little bit uh, out of, out of uh, uh, Greater Thunberg talk. That has changed completely. The shipping industry today is united in saying we, we want to decarbonize and we wanted to have a clear path from IMO, so always be careful what you wish for, uh, because that uh, atmosphere changed. And, uh, Knut, if you allow me to say that, uh, it changed a bit during London Shipping Week when you were on stage and said uh, this is not achievable and there will not be enough fuel. So uh, I don't want to take your role as a moderator away, but you managed in that moment a bit to make the optimism into realism and, 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 and that's really a little bit where we, where we stand. Um, allow me one minute to say um, how efficient shipping is because I think we have to, before we discuss on what we want to do, in here, the shipping industry, we have to realize that we are extremely efficient in what we do. There are 70,000 ships in the world. These 70,000 ships transport one tonne for one mile, which is a tonne mile, with an emission of 40 grams of CO2 in average. If you walk home from office for 1.6 whatever kilometres, which is a mile, you will emit during that walk 80 grams of CO2 (laughs) without carrying a (laughs) tonne. I know that this example, of course, is wrong. It's direct air capture, what you do. It's not emitting fossil fuel. I I know all that. But it still illustrates what the shipping industry does. And the reason why I refer to that is because we should not start a discussion, but start an awareness that maybe it's not smart to allocate the energy that we have the scarce green energy into uh, shipping. Maybe there are other uh, use on, 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 on that, but I think we'll come back uh, later. So which fuel, you just said, we are forced to remain optimistic. Which fuel will win? Very difficult to say. Probably all. Probably there will be a mix of applications. Um, the, the I don't know whether you want me to go into the magnitude of electricity that we would need. Please. Um, <laughs> because you have to realize that if we want to decarbonize these 70,000 ships, um, you will need the equivalent of 700 nuclear power plants to be built. At the moment, there are 350 power plants in the world. So if you want to use the equivalent of 700 power plants in renewable energy, there you will have scarcity of solar panels, you will have scarcity of windmills, you will have scarcity of electrolysis. There is no Haber-Bosch factory to produce ammonia in those quantities. It will be virtually impossible to manage that. And if shipping is forced to decarbonize, we will manage And we will buy it because we are a price insensitive industry. Overall, among each other, we are competitive for the last dollar. But overall, we are price insensitive. So we will buy it. We are globally regulated. If that is the law, we will do it. Whether that is smart to take that scarce energy away from shore based CO2 reducing applications, I don't know. I think it's... if. I said in another interview and that is maybe a little bit difficult to say but if we would have a world leader if god would be on the panel here maybe <laughs> the lord himself the lord himself maybe he would say you are great do your effort you emit 2.6% of the global emissions do something but not within the next 10 years leave it alone for 10 years because they are much better used of the scarce fuels that we have in the world, I hope this was not too provocative, but it's uh, it's a, a way to look at it. And if it was too provocative, that was my lie set, and not by Bibco.
0: <laughs> I think you just put a lot of expectation on Nicholas for for his future panels, uh, <laughs> who should be on them. But that's uh, for you I, to I do. A <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean. Nico, you, you said that I was uh, say turning the sentiment during London Shipping Week, but I think you sounded pretty much like me just now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you convinced me as well. No, it's, it, to be honest, I still remain optimistic, but not with fuels. I there are other things. Yes. Well, if please, Christian. Yes, and just Thank just you. just
1: one. I'm uh, um, not as experienced and with the knowledge base that you have in, in that field, but. Uh, if it's true, and that's what I heard, one of the if already this twenty percent goal could be achieved by ultra uh, slow steaming, theoretically speaking, then exactly leave it leave it like this because that is something that is already being done. And if you see the investments in design and and, and fuel optimization, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that is, uh, we shouldn't just st- uh, stand still. But I mean, the mix of of uh, carbon free fuel is. Uh, Unclear, and there's another uh, subject. I'm coming from the like a port agency point of view. This is a little bit my role. Um, you would have to have different bunker facilities in all the ports. Now look at even at the port of Hamburg. Are we prepared to have different bunker facilities here? No, we are not, and they're, they're the political will, the government is not really in favor of having ammonia and methanol and every, uh, everything year-round, and that is something we also have to keep in mind, apart from the availability, it is also the infrastructure that is really lacking, at least in many uh, many ports, that would be our role, in fact, to to convince governments to not only make a smile and, and, and demand something, but also do something about the infrastructure. And frankly speaking, at least in the German polls, I'm currently not that optimistic that we, with all our long planning, I mean, it takes about 20 years to plan something like this, except it is an LNG terminal. That's something else. We learned that. But uh, uh, um, that, is, that is something, there's a big question mark of how we will tackle that.
0: Mm. Thank you, Christian.
3: Ant, please. Just uh, one comment to to, uh, Nico's reference to price-insensitive industry. I think we saw over the last two years, at least in the container liner industry, with for sure uh, very drastic uh, freight rate increases, that uh, it is or can be a price-sensitive industry because at least the increased uh, logistic costs were used or misused by by, uh, many industries then to... Convince final end customers uh, that higher prices need to be paid, uh, paid because of the higher logistic costs. So it is not fully uh, insensitive, uh, depending on the goods for sure. And I believe that it will be a battle between also the different fuels. But at the end, it's, it's only the cheapest one that will win. So the cheapest solution to just uh, achieve the 20% reduction or the 70% reduction then in 2040. Uh, that, that fuel will clearly be be the winner. I don't believe that we will, over a long period of time, have different fuels. Uh, there are not that many industries where you see different fuels. If you think about the airline industry, there is one fuel. If you think about the truck industry, there is more or less one fuel. Why should it really be different in the long term uh, in the shipping industry? In the short term, it's maybe the right approach. Long term, it might not. And as you, Christian Radford, you said um, the 20% are not the scaring one. I think there are many also manual ways of achieving this target. The 70% that's uh, that's where we have to make the decision. That's true.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, so uh, a lot of reference was made to this fuel availability. So in our latest uh, forecast to 2050 uh, report, we said that uh, the better fuels will be very hard for shipping to access in 2030 because we have visibility until 2030, both with the the plans that are already there, the ones that have been approved, and also those that are planned, but not yet have a final investment decision. And uh, just to give you the key facts, so um, uh, shipping, to meet the IMO's target of 20% reduction in 2030, shipping will need to source between 30 to 40% of the global production of the better fuels. Now, uh, shipping today consumes around 3 to 4% yeah. of the fuels. <clears throat> so, that led me to, to the comment that uh, it's very unrealistic. But I said it also in the context that we cannot rely on fuels to solve the issue. We have to focus on efficiency. And that's uh, also something that is important, so I would like to you know hear it from you, and maybe aunt, you can start this one off
3: what, what are what are your take on this outlook? I, I completely agree. I said before I think the specifically the twenty percent target is is a target you can achieve with operational excellence and uh, biofuel additions and uh, slow steaming. However, the seventy percent target can't be achieved with uh, with these manual uh, adjustments there. You clearly need a different type of fuel. Even biofuel would not fully cover that. Mm. Thank you, Christian.
0: Yeah,
1: and isn't it also a price? I mean, if I'm correct, more or less that you need. If you look at methanol, you need twice as much methanol to have the energy, same energy density, or uh, then with heavy fuel. So the vessels need somehow to store it and. And again, it will be much more costly. So even the price effect, we come to mm. that later. I mean, who is in the end has to pay it? It will be the consumer, one way or the other. Not in all market situations. So we will see next year what the ETS, how it really will function. Are the owners able to to, you know, to convey it to, to the uh, shifted to the to the consumers or the charters? Yes or no. But in the long run, it will increase prices and, and sensitivities in that sense. And. Uh, not everybody will, will, will take it easily. So, from that point of view, I'm, I'm also very worried if we don't find other means of, of fueling. That is the, the sense. It will not be probably methanol in the way that you just mentioned, which we are not able to produce.
2: Excellent. Nico, please. Yeah, uh, let me try to return a bit to the optimism now. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Because, He's a nice guy. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I want to be the nice guy. But uh, the, it's not always easy be the nice guy but let me try the the well before i make it better let me make it worse uh, so, sounds uh, like a hollywood movie the, to me the, the, <laughs> the, you just mentioned that we will need 40 percent of the plant um, renewable sites there are 2200 renewable sites uh, solar and wind uh, out of which you will have 40 percent of these uh uh, at 2200 renewable plants fid decision was taken for less than 10% so uh, that is very ambitious your 40% already is very ambitious nevertheless i agree with what 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 and christian said um, you will have means in air lubrication in i'm a strong believer of carbon capture in certain applications you will have the the technological Optimization there is wind. You have uh, uh, the blue wispy rule: uh, not sail fast and then wait. Have the uh, uh, optimization in the middle of the ocean and arrive on time in ports. That 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 will help Um, in the long run. And there, uh, the 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 uh, view expressed on the Cyprus Shipping Week was correct. slow steaming, whether you call it shaft limitation or whether you call it CII to, to, to mention something operational or EEXI, ship description, whether you call it limit uh, engine limitation, in the end it's speed um, that will do the job for 2030, so 2030 at least let's say we are optimistic and 2040 let's work on it um, but cross the bridge when you get to the river. <laughs> wise. <laughs> I'm very impressed. But I'll, keep <laughs> I'll
0: make a note you. of
3: that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you, if you allow me yes, please. One, one addition? I think it is also important that it's obvious that in at least or maximum five, ten years' time there will be not only a kind of battle or fight between the sh- participants of the shipping industry for these green fuels, but within all industries for these green fuels, and um it is it is not a challenge, I think for a technic, a technical challenge at the end for for ship owners to bunker and operate a vessel with green fuel and uh, if uh, the governments force us to do so, we will do so and they they, they do um, but it's also important that it's not only the customers at the end carrying all the burdens because all the taxes at ETS is maybe only the starting point uh, will have to be paid finally. By the customer. Uh, but it shouldn't be the governments cashing in ETS fees more or less as an additional tax to spend them, but these should be returned one or another way to the industry, also to be still in a position to offer interesting uh, uh, transport possibilities finally to, to their customers. It, it can't be that we are we are more or less the, uh, the ones that have to to pay the full burden of this approach and pass it on directly to customers, whereas the governments are the ones staying with the money, having just additional funds. That's not the purpose of an ETS and of the system. This
2: was now your Verband uh, Deutscher Reda hat. Well done, <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> no, well done. Anyway.
1: Very, 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 very,
0: good. very good. Seems point. like you you're all in agreement on that point. I
1: think we can't be. I mean, it's very very valid point. Excellent.
0: Um, now, if we just uh, say have a reflection around the accelerated ambition level, but also what that means to. You mentioned it uh, around the complexity on the vessels. You mentioned air lubrication systems. There are many other. Uh, wind assisted uh, propulsion, there are many systems that can be introduced. Um, Our forecast for the upskilling of seafarers if you look towards 2050 is that uh, with the increased ambition level agreed in July, we move from 300,000 seafarers that will need upskilling to 750 thousand seafarers by 2050. So that's a huge task and it's a huge challenge. And um, I would like to have your reflections on that. And I'm, I'm not sure, Christian, if, if you're in the I mean, best seat to start. Not really, because on. we are
1: not so much. I think the managers and operators and owners have a much better insight mm. on that. But I just wanted to remind you that as the seafarers on board, but we need also skilled let's say, seafarer staff on shore, like pilots, like in the port operations. And so we lack that because there's a huge amount of people. If you look at pilots, I mean, so you would say pilots, pilots. You know, it's not easy to find pilots, in, in uh, for instance, in Germany right now because the people are getting older and nobody wants to have that job or or just for a different amount, for amount of money that is... Nobody wants to pay again, so that is another. It is not the most uh, important pro- uh, problem, but it, it pays on the, in, in, into the same line.
0: That's right. Yes, Nico, would you like to go first or oh, second?
2: <laughs> so, yes. Yes. This, this is this is uh, as I mentioned in my my opening, uh, an underestimated problem. It's a huge opportunity for those who engage in that field and. Uh, the, the, some of the ship managers, of course, are doing it, and we have the startup here in Germany from uh, Isabel Rickmers who I saw sitting somewhere over there. She's waving. So there are uh, – uh, you will listen to her later on the panel as well, I think. So uh, there are good opportunities. The, the number I have is that by 26, that is in two years more or less, 89,510 uh, – certified uh, officers will be missing, according to the ics bimco SeaFarer uh, employment report from, from last summer. That is a lot of people. And uh, on top of that, you need the upscaling of, of these people uh, to live with a new LNG fuel, what, what, what uh, you have mentioned. So it's a good advice to any ship owner to be nice, to his people, because without your people, you have uh, steel, and uh, not very valuable steel, probably, without seamen to run it. Um, so what we think should be done, because there is huge competition from ashore, there is huge competition from the partners of the seamen saying, come home or I walk away, uh, there is a different uh, life for seamen. We have to make their stay on ships attractive. We have to make it safe. The ESG is not only environment, it's social and governance. We have to make it for them secure, and we have to appreciate what they do. Seamen are looked at as workers from some remote islands who do a job on a ship sailing from A to B. If you would have a factory ashore, which costs between 50 and 150 million. US dollars, you would not call somebody who is running it as a chief executive officer, which is the equivalent to a captain who is running your asset at sea. You wouldn't call him a seaman and mean by that that he is a more or less educated guy who knows how to steer a rudder. So we have to make sure ship owners are appreciated as what they are. They are controlling the blood flow of of world trade. Is that a nice way to say it? I think so.
0: <laughs> yes, I'll make a note of that too. Aunt,
3: <laughs> please. I can uh, just uh, <clears throat> I repeat what, what Nico has said there and keep in mind that it's not that long ago that uh, the position of a seafarer was called an old-fashioned job that will soon be replaced by automated vessels. And what we've read about it, now we might need double as, as many as we we have today. So I think the pandemic has made it. Very clear, also to, to the broader uh, people that seafarers, um, <throat> shipping is is vital uh, for the world. Uh, Bimco has done, by the way, a very good video in that respect uh, on the relevance of, of shipping, and one should just uh, have a look at this video again and again to see how how important this this job is. We we have to make it very clear, not maybe only here in Europe, but also outside in specifically Asia, how relevant their role is, how important and how attractive it is. And it has to be again an attractive, a a sexy job. I mean, nowadays not everybody can become an influencer all around the world. We need people sailing on board our ships and we have to convince them that it's an interesting, future-proof role uh, that will not be replaced immediately.
0: Excellent. I support the recommendation on the BIMCO video. That Mm -hmm. is really a great video. Excellent. Um, uh, Time is slowly running out, so maybe if you could be, you know, a little bit of an elevated pitch on this last uh, question. Um, So at uh, the Global Maritime Forum a few weeks ago in Athens, there was sort of a lot of talk around there is too much talk and there is uh, no action. What's your take on this, please?
2: You want to start?
1: you go <laughs> you're the nice guy Nico come on okay, so so, start nicely. so
2: now we already imagine having a discussion about who is doing the talk <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny because uh i think there is a uh, walk uh we 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 can see that um that the industry is discussing it so much and that things are actually not only being discussed but being put into action we have uh, for example uh, small research uh, vessel that we are running on uh, methanol. It will be the first sea-going German, well, it was supposed to be the first sea-going vessel run on methanol because she was, uh, because she's so heavily delayed, because the main engine is so difficult to make that I think there will be another one coming before her. But she is um, then run on, on, on biomethanol, so it works. It, 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 she, will, she will be there um, most shipping companies uh, have activities in the field of ammonia combustion at least under study or you have the uh, 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 um, different other activities the train left the station and, and, and it's, it's, it's rolling so let's not talk ourselves down in what mm-hmm. we, we do
1: if I just just see well, what uh, big companies do, and that's the the point, this is still a relatively fragmented market, and I can uh, I assume that smaller owners do not have the the means the uh, to do these big things all on themselves uh, on their own. If you look at for a company like Maersk now, now procuring on on a big scale, not everybody can do that. So, uh, the fragmentation here is is uh, difficult to to go into into uh, to, to elaborate exactly what is the right way. And, and uh, that's why forums like this are very <laughs> important, or BIMCON IMO, to see and to consolidate uh, opinions of, for instance, which is the right view, which is not. On the other hand, there's a re- regulation, uh, also very important. And if the regulation is not uh, following swift, so wh- where should we go? So it's a bit of a hand and neck problem. You know, Is the first regulation, then we move, or do we move first and the re- regulation follows? Um, that is, an, uh, to, to a large extent, an unanswered question, unfortunately.
3: Excellent. Thank you. Ant, please. There's clearly more uncertainty in the industry, causing more talks, that is clear, but uh, there's also a lot of action. I mean, you just have to look at the order book, you have to look at the, right. the, the, the fuels and that it's, uh, the procurement of fuels. So I don't think there is anybody here in the room who has a bore-out syndrome. Um, it, it's clear for me there is a lot of action.
0: Excellent. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your insights and for sharing your views. And uh, as time has run out, uh, I would just like to thank the audience for your patience with us. And uh, I would like again to thank Nicholas for an excellent setup. And uh, we are done. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.